the man Noah. We're going to talk about part of this story this morning that I'm not sure I've ever heard articulated. But I'll begin by asking you, do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel forgotten? Do you ever feel like that you're figuratively on the boat all by yourself? Well, in Genesis chapter 7, 8, and 9, Genesis 7, 8, and 9, if you have your Bible, if you don't, they'll be on the screens this morning. I think we're going to see uh, a very real part, a very human part of the, uh, the saga and the drama of Noah. And here's the first thing I want to communicate to you this morning, and that's this. Life can be stormy. Man, life can just be, it can be stormy. Life can be, be difficult. In chapter 7, verse 11 and 12, this is our fourth sermon on Noah. And we got him in the boat last week, if you remember. We got the flood going. We're going to review a little bit in verses 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 70th, 17th day of the second month, on that day the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of heaven were open, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Go to verse 20 through 24. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Again, remember Mount Ararat was, uh, that'd be about three miles of water. If you go over to Mount Everest, that's over five miles of water. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Verse 23, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground. Birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Now jump down to verse 13 of chapter 8. And we're going to go back to that in a moment. This gives us a little closing context of this part. The first day of the, the first month of Noah's 601st year... The waters had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw the surface of the ground was dry. So, okay, a lot of people believe that Noah, God had Noah and, and, the, um, and the, his wife and three sons and their wives get in the ark seven days before the rain began, okay, seven days. Now, once the rain started until... They opened the ark up. Now, I want you to think about this. They were in that ark for one year and 10 to 17 days. There's a little discrepancy because of the way people counted. The, the Hebrews used a solar calendar. The Babylonians used a lunar calendar. The Egyptians used a, a loose 365-day-a-year calendar. So there's a, a day or two discrepancy, not biblically, but just to how men have figured it out. But if you, if you say it was 317 days and then you, you throw that seven days before the water even started coming down, they were in there 300 uh, a year and, uh, and another 24 days. That's a long time in this, uh, in this boat, isn't it? Now, were they safe? Well, yeah, they were safe. But I want you to, to, to kind of walk through this with me. Think about it. 
Some scholars believe it had never rained up to this point, that the earth, uh, moisture came from the ground and came up, and it just kind of watered, the, the world watered itself, kind of a sprinkler system. I, I don't know about that. But can you imagine the seven days before it ever started raining when they're in the ark? And there's people on the outside that are probably making fun of them and cussing them and calling them. You are so stupid. What are you doing in that boat? But it's hot in there. But it smells good with all the animals. And, you know, again, you begin to have some second guessing, too. Did we do Hey, Noah, Dad, did you really hear God? I mean, we're beginning to look pretty stupid here. Needs to rain sometime. And then it begins to rain. And the way the Bible describes the rain is it wasn't just a nice little sprinkle. I mean, it's just like the, God turned on the faucets of heaven and water just began to pour down. And the water began to burst forth from the ground is literally what the Bible said. And there was just a window at the top of the ark. So, you know, it was very dark in there. And, and then they began to hear people scream who realized they were going to die. They were going to drown. Not because God wanted them to, but because they wouldn't repent. They had 120 years to turn to God, but they didn't. And you begin to hear the, the animals on the outside that aren't on the ark. And then you get the animals on the inside. And then the boat finally begins to rise. It begins to lift up. And you've got to wonder, boy, I sure hope the boys did a good job the day when they were putting the pitch on the ark. And then it begins to float. It doesn't have a rudder. It doesn't have a sail. It doesn't have a steering wheel. It's just drifting. It's completely, totally out of their control. And Noah, I'm certainly he's trusting God, but let's get real this morning. There had to be a lot of fear and even doubts in the heart of Noah. If you don't believe Noah's real, a real person, come next week and we're going to see when he throws a little party and drinks too much wine, things go bad. Noah was still a full human. And I wonder this morning, what is it you're fearing and I'm fearing? What is it that, that's scaring you? Maybe nobody around you knows. Maybe you, you hide it pretty well. Maybe you're a man and you would never admit you're afraid. I, I read this week, George Washington, our father of our country, first president, was, was terrified of being buried alive. You know, in the 1700s, that's a pretty real deal. Better make sure Grandpa really isn't moving before you put him in the ground. Richard Nixon, one of our presidents, was terrified of hospitals. In Napoleon Bonaparte, the Great War general and dictator was terrified of cats don't you know if the enemy would have known that they would have lined the battlefield with cats and and ran the french out, out of there what's your fear today maybe it's your marriage the truth is is you don't know if it's going to survive or not Maybe you're single and the truth is you just go, wonder, am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to find that person and this is going to work out? Maybe it's your health today that you've got a report from a doctor or you've got a lump that you can't identify or a spot and, and you honestly do not know what's going to happen in your life with your health or you're going off to college or you're having a major life change and you really don't know what lies ahead. Some of you are you're looking at your finances and you're looking at your business and you don't know how things are going to turn out. Or maybe the truth is you may not have the same job you have this time next year. We've got a lot of things that we worry about, that we're concerned about. Life is just stormy. A man some of you may know, Jim Couture, is the, the Weather Channel storm tracker, storm chaser. 
And he's been doing it for like 28 years, and he talks about all the different tornadoes and hurricanes he's experienced. And he said the, the worst storm he's ever seen was when the F5 tornado hit Tuscaloosa, Alabama in 2011. He said it looked like a bomb had gone off there. But then he goes back and he talks about the storms that people experience in life. And he talks about his two sons who have fragile X syndrome, which is a, a, a genetic disease that manifests itself in, as an autism. And he said, of all the storms and things I've been through, the worst thing I have to see is watch my children and how they suffer and how hard life is for them. I thought that was pretty interesting, a guy that's, that's been at every major hurricane and tornado in America in recent years could say he still understands the worst storms are the storms that we as individuals experience. What's your storm today? And I bid you not to be cocky. Because you may say, man, the water is really smooth where I'm riding today. And that is great. That is awesome. But you know what? All it takes is one nut to get on the lake and, you, and, and your boat starts rocking, doesn't it? I mean, your life, my life can be turned upside down this afternoon. David Brooks is a columnist for the New York Times. And he wrote an interesting article in April of this year. He said, last year in 2013, listen to this, in one quarter, in one section of a year, Amazon Magazine listed 1,000, 1,000 new books that were about being happy. <laughs> about being happy. 1,000 books. So in other words, if you want to write a book, don't write one on happy because someone's already beat you to the punch. Everybody wants to be happy. But Brooks goes on and he says, you know what? Most of us, if we look back in our lives, it's not the, the happy things that we know that have shaped us. It's the tragedies and the storms who make us who we are. Isn't that interesting? But see, I want to give you a little twist on what David Brooks said. It's just not the storms that are going to shape you. It's how you go through the storms that are going to shape you. And so I want us to look this today, what I think Noah was hanging on to, certainly mentally and emotionally and spiritually, but maybe at times even physically, that you need to hang on to. If you're in the storms today, you need to hang on to these things. If you're not in the storms today, you're going to be in the storms in the future. You need to hang on to these things in the storm. And here's the first thing. God has not forgotten you. Man, isn't that great? How many of you hate to forget stuff? You know, that's the bad thing I'm noticing about getting older is that you begin to forget stuff more. Some stuff it's good you forget, but some it's not. There, there were two ladies in church, not in our church, another church. They, they were in their, their early 90s. They had been close friends for over 60 years. They had sat by each other in church for years. And one, one Sunday morning, the other one looked at, looked at her friend. She said, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. Tell me your name. And she said, we've sat beside each other in church for 60 years. We've known each other for over 60 years. You don't remember my name? She said, I don't remember your name. Please tell me your name. And she said, well, I will if you'll give me a minute. You got to think on that, but it really is funny. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have ever wondered, has God forgotten me? Has God just left me here in this spot, in this situation, with this group of people? Has God just forgotten me? Man, the turning point in Noah's story happens in chapter 8, verse 1. I want you to read it with me. It says, but God remembered 
Noah. God remembered Noah. And not only Noah, all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. That word remembered there, it means he reflected upon. It means he brought to memory. It's it's the idea of God's reliable faithfulness or God's faithful love. It's God making a personal and an appropriate experience and appearance in the life of Noah. And I want to tell you this morning, God has not forgotten you. That's great news. God knows exactly where you are this morning. And folks, when it says God remembered Noah, it, that's not mean God had forgotten him. Shazam, I forgot. Noah's floating around in that zoo down there. I better go get him. It just means at, at the right time, at the appropriate time, God revealed himself again to Noah is what that means. I want to tell you this morning, man, your life may be dark. It may be lonely. It, you may feel betrayed. You may feel hurt. Or you may be so arrogant today that you think this is for the birds. Just, we ha- we'll have this on. You can come and rent it or buy it or whatever. Listen to it free online six months from now when your world falls apart. But I want to tell you something great. God's not forgotten you. God's not forgotten you. And I want to build on that and tell you this. He's been with you all the way. You see, it wasn't it that God just suddenly remembered Noah. God always had Noah on his mind. And God had been with him every step of the way. In chapter 7, verse 16, is an interesting little verse. It says, The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, and as God had commanded Noah, and the Lord shut them in. Now, now folks, That is subtle and easy to miss, but when it was time for the ark to push off, Noah didn't have to say, Miss Noah, crawl out that window up top, we'll let you down by a rope, and then push that door shut. God himself sealed the ark. God himself shut the ark up. In other words, what God was showing them from the very get-go all the way through, God was with them every step of the way. Now, I want to tell you this morning, No matter where you're headed, no matter where you are today, you need to turn to God and you need to hold on to his hand. You can reject him. You can ignore him. But if you'll try to keep your hand in God's hand, I want to tell you, God promises you he will be with you every step of the way. Here's a great thought. It never is going to get too hot in the kitchen for God. People will fail you. Friends will let you down. You'll wonder, where are they? Why aren't they here anymore? I've been good to them. They're not good to me. That's that's just life. It never gets too hot in the kitchen for God. Joshua 1.9 is a great, great, great verse. It says, God, God told Joshua, have I not commanded you? This is for all of us. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen. If you and I would go through life saying no matter how hard it is, how dark it is, one plus God equals a majority, correct? If you knew physically God was standing beside you, who would you be afraid of? Nobody. The Bible says God is beside you. Bank on this, friend. God's not forgotten you this morning. 
Not only has he not forgotten you, God's been with you every step of the way. Here's the next thing. God will come through. Listen, I, I can walk with you. I can, I can remember you. But I can't promise you I can make it happen. God can. In chapter 8, verse 13 through 18, it says, On the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. But the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. So Noah came out together with his sons, his wives, and his sons' wives. God remembered them. And God was with them. But I want you to remember this because this is where some of you are, or certainly you will be. And they had no control of what was going on. No sail, no rudder, no steering wheel. See, that's what scares most of us more than anything else, especially us men. We got to have control. And you know what God may have to do in your life and in my life? He may have to take the, the legs out from under us, so we'll give up control to him. I got to control it. I've got to control it. Listen, when that boat started floating, it was going to end up where God wanted it to end up, period. And I'm not saying you need to be careless with your life, but at some point you got to say, I can't control it. But I'm going to trust that God, who's going to be with me every step of the way, is going to see me through it. Now, let me tell you some things you need to get a hold of. God's not going to do it on your timetable. They get in the boat, and for seven days they sit. Wouldn't that have been miserable? No cell connection. No satellite TV. Nothing but stinking animals. Probably grouchy people. You better hope no one of them could sing or it got dull quick, didn't it? But see, God took care of us just on His time. I want God to fix my problems now, don't you? When, when you're in the hospital sick and I come to see you, do you want me to lay, kneel next to you and say, God, I pray that this sickness goes on for another year and a half. And during this time, you will break them and teach them all kinds of things. And God, at the end of the year and a half, bring them out of this. And you would join another church. <laughs> but you know, a lot of times the way God deals with me is he makes me float for a while. Because he's trying to build character. He's trying to correct me. And he's trying to mold me. You see, God's going to come through. And we don't think God's coming through because he doesn't do it on our timetable but mark that down. It's very important. God's going to come through on his timetable. Here's another thing. It may, not, it may not turn out the way you would have made it turn out. It's a control thing. Well, uh, Miss Noah, we're going to come back right where we left. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll waterlog our house or we'll waterproof our house. We'll move right back in. They were hundreds of miles from where they started. 
They had no idea where they were going to end up. God will take care of you, but it sure may not be the way that you think that it's going to be. But he will. Again, I want to tell you, don't rush God and make bad choices. Here's a great quote. It's not original with me. God's delays are not God's denials. You see, here's what's happening to some of us today. We pray for something, we struggle with something, and then two weeks later, it doesn't happen, and God failed us, and God doesn't answer prayer, so we quit coming to church. God's delays are not God's denials if we're doing the right things, if we're being the right kind of person, if we're following Jesus. His delays are not his denials. Romans 8, 28, this is a verse you need to know by heart. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. It doesn't say all things are good. It says that in all things, God will work for the good to those who love him. In other words, it's not for everybody. It's a promise for people who belong to Jesus and are trying to live for Jesus. Here's what God says. You, you're in a mess even if you created the mess. If you'll live for me and you'll follow me from this point on, no matter what it is, God can put his hands in that mess and work it out not only for your best but for the best. Man, when Noah got on that boat, he didn't know how long it was going to be. He didn't know where they were going to end up. He just had to trust that God was going to see him through, and God saw him through. God will see you through if you won't let go of God. Are you with me? And here's the last thing, and it's another good thing. God pledges his love and care to you. See, that this is, God is awesome. God is so wonderful. God pledged to Noah, and he does to us his love. Probably one of the most famous parts of the story after the flood is found in chapter 9, verse 13 through 16. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and a rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you. All living creatures of every kind, never again will the waters bec uh, become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on earth. we got a picture of a beautiful rainbow you know, rainbow has seven colors. It's, uh, it, it's the, the water droplets, the re refraction and retraction in that that creates that beautiful, that beautiful color. And I know today that the, the gay and lesbian groups have adopted the rainbow as their, their sign. And, you know, they, they have the right to do that, of course. But don't ever forget, the rainbow started in Genesis chapter 9 where God said... Fundamentally, I'm never going to destroy the earth again by water. Now, how many of you would agree, if you were Noah and you had just gotten off that boat, that'd be a pretty cool sign, wouldn't it? That'd be more than just, ah, it's a cute little rainbow, yada, 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 I'll wear one or have in my car. I mean, that was like, Because if he hadn't given that sign, every time it would have rained after that, they'd have been running for the hills, wouldn't they? Or head back to the boat. <laughs> but that was God's way of showing them I love you, and I am going to take care of you. And I want to tell you, God has given us a lot of signs and a lot of evidence that he loves us, and he takes care of us. You know, the Lord's Supper, sometimes I think we kind of blow off how significant communion, Lord's Supper is.
But you know, when you hold that little cracker in your hand and that little wafer, that, that, that wafer and that, that glass of juice, that is God's symbol. That's God's picture that I gave my life for you, that I love you. The cross, we have a, a picture of a beautiful cross. The cross, that's God screaming out to you that he loves you. That's God's visible picture of his love and his passion and his concern for us. And I want to share with you some scriptures, some, some things in black and white and, and, and print that Noah didn't have. Romans 8.31, listen to this verse. What the, shall we say in response? If God is for us, who can be against us? No matter how dark it is, no matter who leaves me, no matter who's not there for me, no matter what happens, if God's with me, I'm, I'm okay. And then on down a few verses in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, or 30, we'll start in 35. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Next verse, for I am convinced neither death nor life, angels, demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see what that's saying is if you belong to Christ or if you will belong to Christ and you will hang on to Christ, the devil himself cannot pry you out of God's hands. Your worst problems, your worst fears, your worst loneliness, whatever it is, they are absolutely real and they're absolute and true, but God will see you through that. I want to tell you one more rainbow story. March the 4th, 1992, it was 20 days before my birthday, so we were doing the official countdown, getting ready for it. But I had been in Marshall, Texas. It was a Wednesday. My, my father had had, a, he'd had a gallbladder surgery the, uh, the weekend before. It was the old-fashioned old kind where they cut you open. He had to spend like, three days in the hospital. So I'd gone up there on a Tuesday, Tuesday, and I spent Tuesday with my parents and Tuesday night, and then Wednesday afternoon, about three, I drove back to Fort Worth, two or three. And it rained all the way back. I had a great visit with my dad. He was doing well. He was recovering fine. Everything looked great. So I got back to Fort Worth, and, you know, it rained the whole way. And I got home. I've been home about 15 minutes, and, and the phone, I get a phone call. And I don't, I, I still to this day, I have no idea who the lady was. She was at my parents' house, and she said, I've got some terrible news for you. Now, either that is someone joking, or that's terrible news. And so I said, okay. And she said, your father had a heart attack and died. Well, that wasn't possible. I mean, I'd just been there. I just left him. Uh, you know, he was doing great, so you must have the wrong number. No, your father just had a heart attack and died. And uh, I was in my mid-20s then, and my dad was not old, and, I mean, it was just a, you know, a blow-you-away kind of thing. And my dad was far from perfect, but he was a good father. He was a godly man. He was somebody I'd leaned into and I could call and count on. He was, he was faithful to my mom and to us, and... So then I had to go tell my older sister that, who lived in Fort Worth that our father was dead, which that's always a fun task too. So I get in the car, and I'm driving over there, and it's, it has stopped raining. It's about 6, so it's daylight, but it's real 
heavy overcast. It's, it's, you know, it's yucky. And right when I get out of my car to go in her house, there's this gigantic, huge rainbow. And it was like when I stepped out of the car, I just stopped and I looked at it. It was like God whispered to me, I'm still here. Your daddy's not. I still love you. And I'm not going anywhere. And you know, I walked into my sister's house that day from seeing that rainbow with a renewed sense that, yeah, it was bad, but it's going to be okay. Because God's going to see me through whatever comes my way. I want to tell you, if you'll hang on to him, he'll see you through too. Will you pray with me? This morning, if you're a Christian... I really think two things need to happen. You need to make sure you're lined up with Christ. And maybe today you need to just to throw yourself on his love and his mercy. And if you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian this morning, would you pray with me? Would you make that decision to cross the line with Jesus today? Would you just pray and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm a sinner and I want to turn from my sins. I I accept that you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And today, Jesus, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand, and I want you to respond to Christ. You see, Jesus, Jesus can't help you if you won't respond to him. There could have been a lot of other people on the ark. They just didn't get on the ark. If you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that, when we stand, would you come this morning and let a minister help you with that? Maybe today you're ready to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do that, when we stand, you can come, just ease yourself down here, find a minister, we'll help you do that today. You need a church family. Christian, again, the two things, maybe today you need to repent. You're, you're, you're halfway in the ark and halfway out and you need, to, you need to get fully back on board with Christ maybe where you're standing or at the altar you want to do that or Christian maybe you want to come today and kneel at the altar or come and pray with a minister and let us love on you the opportunity's here but you've got to decide and choose do it today let's stand